Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatch's Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours. Squirrel nut! What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so. Crying out loud, he can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitch and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. Hey there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling. I am your host, Sam. This is episode 117. Excited to be back. Had to take a couple weeks break. Had some life event stuff going on, as well as, in general, COVID, which was kind of just like a freight train of sleepiness more than anything for me. So I am incredibly fortunate that said, it decided to align me as far as wrestling watching and being interested in editing a podcast or anything like that. So gave myself a little time to recoup. So this week will also be a little bit more disjointed than usual. So apologies if you're already like, hey, this is already a garbaggio in that regard. This will not improve things. So you can skip this episode if that scares you a little bit. But... I had some straggling thoughts that were scheduled for the previous episode that I made a few, a couple weeks ago, um, when 117 was supposed to originally happen, right after the Ring of Honor pay-per-view occurred. So, some of these thoughts are going to be a little delayed in regards to timeliness, but I'm going to try to get those out just so I can get them out into the universe, maybe in a little bit more condensed fashion, but feel like I do need to start with my number five of this week for my top five. All right, number five, we have a little quick jalapeno review of the quick pickle jalapenos I did of the love and lemons recipe. Real simple jalapenos, some garlic, brine of vinegar, sugar, water, salt, easy stuff. Got tortilla for some texture. All right, here we go. Put down. Let's see. All right, this is just a easy peasy lemon squeezy. Let's get that going. All right, let's see. Sweet at first. But that zing of that hand comes in at the end. Oh, those are great. I'm excited to see how those turn out long-term. But immediate win, more of a bite than your store brand. So that rocks. And say hi to Clem. Say hi to them. She doesn't want to say hi. All 
All right, so number four, we're going to be talking a little bit about the full car announcement of Beyond Wrestling's American Rana event, making its return, the big annual show from Beyond Wrestling, and it does feel like they're going to live up to the moniker in 2022. Now, I would not expect it to reach maybe the bombast of the year we saw R.D. Evans and Orange Cassidy square off, but as is, this is going to be a humdinger event. They already had things he announced like uh, Masha Slamovich versus Becca, who I'm not maybe the biggest Becca fan, but like uh, that's a, a obvious local talent showcase, and it feels like this is what American Ryan used to be, where the local talent would get to go shine against one of the bigger names on the indies. So that's good for her. Uh, you have Rhett Titus and Tracy Williams tagging as the foundation against the fancy nerds of Ryan Clancy and Thomas Santel. I'm not super knowledgeable on Ryan Clancy. I've seen a couple matches and they went wow me, but I didn't felt like there was something there, like they're scratching the surface. So excited to see that one. It feels like that's a low key, good baseline match. Ryan Galeone versus Rex Lawless is a match that feels like it could have taken place six years ago or something of just like two dudes that Felt like they had the size and the talent to make something of themselves. And then just didn't, which is hugely unfortunate. But it's kind of exciting to see kind of that that clash to me. But the two big matches they announced. And those are the matches that kind of south and one more, even more so than the other. First one, Slade versus Eddie Kingston. Real heads know Slade is a dude. A real a real wrestler's wrestler just absolutely kicks, but has the worst nicknames known to freaking man. But he's just a hard nose, grinded out brawler that you don't get a lot of. And doesn't really seem like the deranged maniac that Slade comes off as going as Eddie Kingston, pretty much one of the best wrestlers on the planet. I'm curious how this goes because Eddie gets pitched as a brawler, but his real talent comes when he gets to sell and really gets to show weakness. And Slade is someone that does not show weakness. So I'm not sure how that blends together, but I'm really interested to see how that plays out. If there's anyone that can make this match seem smart, it's Eddie. Then the big one, the match that kind of came out of nowhere a match that I was like, I can't believe Wheeler Yuta got yanked from the show because he was originally supposed to be teaming with Tracy Williams. I thought he got yanked, but in reality, he just got put in this big match against Timothy Thatcher. A man who's not taking a lot of dates on the indies, who was at Noah for a cup of coffee and then had to immediately come back home because of a visa issue. Well, not immediately, but you know what I'm saying. This match feels big time. It feels like it's going to be awesome. This is have a special match. Really, you has finally kind of gotten to a level of stardom and a level of talent that I think we could really get something special with Thatcher's return to Beyond Wrestling. Put that one on your calendar, August 21st. That's going to be a tremendous match. It is appointment viewing in my book. 
That weekend also has Jaylet. It also has West Coast, the West Coast Cup from West Coast Pro. It's going to be a pretty, pretty big weekend as far as indie wrestling goes, especially on IWTV. So excited for that. So number three is going to be sort of a rehash that I was going to be talking about last week, but I had a couple bullet points, so we'll just kind of put it all together. But it's about Ring of Honor and about death before dishonor, a tremendous pay-per-view, a show of the year type show. But I also wanted to kind of talk about the Jonathan Gresham situation. That situation doesn't seem like it's really gone anywhere in the past couple of weeks. The situation being that Gresham has an interview with wrestling purists, which then gets chopped up into a million bite-sized nuggets from wrestling purists themselves that doesn't necessarily paint Gresham in the best of light. I'm not saying they did anything nefarious when they did this. And I'm not saying that Gresham was really showing himself in a good light during this interview. But when he's saying things like, I really don't talk to Tony Khan. I I hope he likes me. And things of that nature. It makes Gresham kind of come off like a big old nerd. And then to have something come out from Fightful that Gresham sort of asked for his release from Ring of Honor and didn't want to be there anymore. That coming out before he loses the title at death before Dishonor. There's just a lot of weirdness going on. And then say what you will about Gresham. He might be an asshat. Someone that you really don't want in a locker room. Someone that you really don't care about. But the way Wrestling Pierce handled the situation just felt gross. It felt felt wrong. Felt like something was really a mess. I, you know what? I take it back. It did feel nefarious. It did feel a little nefarious. I don't know why they did it this way. Like, oh, they were content mills. So I guess that makes sense where... The vast majority of the content they produce on Twitter, at least, is like algorithmic sort of content mill reposting sort of stuff. It's it's not good. It's like how what I used to come to four one mania for sort of just like a hodgepodge of all the different news bites of the day. But they don't have the kind of reviews that I would expect out of an outlet like that that has a critical eye. R.I.P. Uh, Larry Zonka. So it just felt like that is not an outlet I would associate with good vibes at all. And I hope wrestlers just like don't do interviews with them, frankly, because it just doesn't seem like you're in a good spot if you do that. But I also want to talk about Death Before Dishonor as a pay-per-view. And it feels like that lives up to kind of the show of the year banner that you hope for. It felt like, okay, this is a big show for Ring of Honor. Maybe it's not the biggest show in the grand scheme. But you have a few just great matches. Matches that are like, oh, yes. Put that on the board. That's that's a winner. I love the Garcia versus Yuta pure title match. It rocks. It's all killer. No filler. It's dynamite. It uses the pure rules wonderfully. It doesn't just do the rope break thing. It's like, okay, how do we incorporate these rope breaks into the larger narrative of Blackpool Combat Club and Garcia's kind of rallying against them via the Jericho Sports Entertainment Society or whatever the fuck they are called. 
So it's it was interesting. It was a it was a really great match that sort of played with the rules in a way that was past the most simplistic understanding of them. I love pure rules. I love sorts of unique sets of rules that one allows a separation of divisions in wrestlers so that a wrestler could be really talented within the confines of their particular environment. But when they go to maybe a more traditional bout, they have, they have their shortcomings because they're used to operating in a certain mode, certain under certain confines. I like that. I think that's interesting. It makes it so that when that wrestler that's used to doing the traditional stuff can go into the, more unique rule set and may flounder a little bit because they're not used to it. They don't get how to manipulate the situation. These two young guys, Judah and Garcia, dudes younger than me, I'm 29, and it feels disgusting now that there are two wrestlers that are world-class that are at this age. And they are going to be doing this together for a very long time. If you tell me, hey, in 10 years... These two are main eventing a show in front of 20,000 people. I'll be yes, of course they are. It's how it was meant to be. They're that talented and they're that linked together that no matter where they end up, their paths will cross. You could tell me Garcia is going to WWE next year and you just at AEW for a, a lifer. I just still feel like that's a collision that's bound to happen. Those careers are bound to be intertwined for the rest of time. I loved Dragon Lee versus uh, Roosh in a totally different manner. It's just completely turn the brain off, watch two dudes car crash for 15 minutes. It rocks. It is just nutso-wacko bullshit from beginning to end. I think that I'm only comfortable with like two brothers doing Talked about it in Desert Island Cop recently with Dan Rice, but that Jay Briscoe versus Mike Brisco, Mark Briscoe match um, from 2005 in Delaware. This is not at that level, but like it's not. It's the same vein. It's the same genre of brothers being brothers. So it is a humdinger of a match, and I hope that match does not get lost in the shuffle, even though it maybe lacks a certain hook of having of taking place in ROH of taking place sort of in the middle of the card, not being feeling like a part of the story of a professional wrestler in the way that the Garcia and you match, but like a continuation of their story or the Briscoes versus FTR match. That feels like a continuation of their story and really just kind of the new chapter of ring of honor. And I just want to touch on that match a little bit. A match that felt like a got a lot of buzz, a lot of five-star reviews. I'm not quite there. I thought it was a, sh- a hair behind the first match, but still a really tremendous bout that felt like it earned its length. Even if it maybe went a tad over, it still felt like, okay, you're a tad over at this length by a few minutes rather than 25 minutes, which is usually the case for me. I don't like long matches. Long matches are usually against... I feel like I'm being held against my will. This is not that match. This match is, it builds on itself. It builds not so much off the previous match. I didn't feel there was a little bit more, a little too much ground being laid 
for folks that had really a fairly action-packed match that first go-around where they felt things out a little bit differently than they expected, but it's still going to be like, oh, yes. In the year of our Lord 2022, remember those Briscoe matches. And I know Tim said on QNTR, hey, I don't really want to see these two lock up again in the near future. Let's get someone else in here. There are other teams to be having FTR go against. I say horse pucky. Let's in the next RH pay-per-view, I want one more. Give me one more. Just one more time to really deliver something else. I think they've got something truly, truly, truly special in them. Just give me one more. Uh, and this match being invented, and that's amazing. And it feels like, okay, I would love ROH if it was just the FTR zone where they got to be the main event attraction. Because when you see them on TV, when you go to a live arena for AEW, they feel like a main attraction. They feel like huge freaking stars. They come off like, okay, these are two of the biggest stars in professional wrestling. They are on Moxley's level, it feels like. So yes, having a place where they, where Tony can get out of his own damn way and let ta- a tag team main event shows, something that it sounded like AEW was interested in in the beginning, but has shown no inclination of actually acting on that fact, even if FTR versus Young Bucks somehow, again, would probably deserve that situation, which is a shock of shocks for me to say. But between those three matches, and then you got Joe... Joe versus Jay Lethal, which is much better than it should be, even if it's not great. You have Mercedes Martinez versus Serena Deeb. Deeb is so freaking good. It was a it was a really good match. It was a real good match. The six man tag championship match, not that great, but it means Don Castle still has a role in professional wrestling, so that's good by me. And the world title match, kind of an afterthought, but sort of one of the bigger story parts of the show, just because of the Gresham situation, and now the Claudio title reign seems like it could be a fun stuff. That was a good, it was a really strong opener. Like, that's like, okay, it's not going to overshadow much on the card, but it makes both, it makes Gresham look pretty darn good for someone that feels like he'd been undersold throughout the TV run. And it felt like a really good showcase for Claudio to be like, yeah, I'm still fucking Claudio. I still can wrestle anyone's ass off. Just work it right off, full ass to no ass, all day long. So, that's a show of the year contender, without question. There is nothing like outright bad on the main show here. And this is going to be the one that's like, okay, if there's a better one than this, I'm going to be like amazed, really. So, hopefully that happens, though. I would not be, I would not be opposed to it whatsoever. Number two, let's talk about the Phoenix City Invitational. A tournament near and dear to my heart. It feels like not all that long ago that the Southern Indies were truly fighting for respect. That they were obfuscated by not being centrally located for talent. For not having a place to really distribute all that much. And promotions not being interested in these newfangled tech solutions whether that be a smart mark video, whether that be a Vimeo renting system or 
and at the time, something like High Spots Wrestling Network and IWTV weren't really that big of a thing. Now, I remember like the, the original SCI where the the talent was not maybe loaded to quite the same degree it would eventually get to, but it felt like a big deal. It felt like, okay, this is a showcase tournament that is attached to anarchy, but also doesn't feel married to the branding in the same way. It felt like its own distinct thing. Like, okay, this is a platform for the Southern Indies. And it was a great tournament in 2015, I believe. And then I actually went to 2016. A lot of people went to 2016. It feels like, okay, that's an important event in independent modern independent wrestling history where a lot of people kind of came together that were online and it felt like a real event. And it was one of the best tournaments, I think, in modern indie history, quite frankly. Maybe that's a little too high of a bar, but like that's I think it's at that level. And that's kind of like I don't think it got better. Unfortunately, but at the same time, like that's hard. It's a high bar to clear, and it continued to be a good, strong tournament. But after that 2016 tournament, I was, I think it's fair to say, Southern Indies were there. They'd arrived, and now the Southern Indies are sort of the bedrock of <laughs> independent wrestling TV. That streaming service, I don't think, would be in the same spot without sort of the Southern Indies to kind of not only round out the service but provide great wrestling so it's that in new england <laughs> that essentially feel like they dominate what's on that service in a great way i love it it just feels weird to think about but the tournament means a lot to me it feels like it helps foster a greater relationship for me with professional wrestling and this tournament this year had a, a strong lineup. I think it was maybe like not my favorite lineup. It was a little lacking in maybe one or two big names that would I've traded for. But at the same time, like it's a very strong baseline of talent in this tournament. It's like, okay, it's got, it's got all the right people. I'm not going to go through the whole review process of the tournament. I think, Quinn and Tim might do that. Even if they don't, like, I, I just don't, I didn't watch the entirety of all the matches. I just watched the tournament matches. A few others, but primarily the tournament matches. So I, I'll first start off by saying, so glad they're back at Saudi Daisy. That one, it's a mostly empty gymnasium when they're running the shows, but it's such a huge improvement over the TWE arena. It, it cannot be overstated how much bigger the show feels in that gym. It felt like a big deal like it should. The TW Arena really just made it feel sort of like a rinky-dink thing. Even when you have a Daniel Garcia in that lineup and an Alex Kane's bi- bigger names. But Solid Days immediately feels like, okay, this is it. This is the, this is the SCI I know. This is the SCI I love. In... Tournament and non-tournament stuff. I want to give a shout out, shout out to Eli Knight, who is a big athletic dude who's got seemingly all of the raw talent in the world to make something of it. Him and Landon Hales have a match on the Future Showcase, 
they are two young dudes, and they sort of they already had a match at Southeast first, where they truly showed out, and I am still baffled that match didn't help both of those dudes break out in a major way, especially with the nerdball flippy fans out there. Like that seemed like the perfect match for them. But seeing Eli Knight and Lane Hales do it again here, I was like, oh yeah, Eli Knight is at a he's a certain level. His one just like he shouldn't be able to do the things he does. He is so graceful with what he does, but also just equally as violent with what he does. Like he he does that. He does it. And him and Myron Reed also have a match in the opening round of the tournament that felt like, okay, this could go really poorly because they're both flippy dudes, essentially. But one, Myron Reed, he felt very constrained this weekend in a positive way. And him and Eli Knight, they had a match rush I described as an early Dragon Gate USA show with the uh, United States-based talent trying to show out for a tour in the big company. That's what the vibe I got from Myron Reed versus <laughs> Eli Knight. They're showing out. They're doing a bunch of fancy stuff, but like they want you to know, oh, we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it clean. We mean business. Like we can go into the big shows and we can make a big splash immediately. And Myron Reed feels like a really interesting character as well. I want to talk about. He felt like someone that the door is closing on him. He was in, came in during a period like post the Dragon Gate USA era during the NXT era. It didn't really pick up enough steam to really make a run anywhere. He's talented. He's maybe not uber talented like some of the folks that got picked up but like he felt like a guy who should have been able to make a run and for whatever reason luck was not on his side someone that would be like okay yeah if their cruiser rate classic happened again like give him a shot let him make a stand to try and earn his way into a promotion adam priest what a fucking wrestler unbelievably sound he not everything he does makes sense everything he does looks great he's incredible at playing to the crowd he's incredible at and i don't want to say doing the little things because i think that's sort of just words is it's word salad at this point it doesn't mean anything to me it shouldn't mean anything to you really it's just something people say when they're like oh yeah, good. But he understands how to position himself in the ring to make everything he's doing look good, but also make sure that he's putting himself in an opportunity for his opponent to look good, to always feed them the right way, to always put himself in position to capitalize on his opponent's mistakes and never make anything feel forced. All three of his matches through the finals felt like, okay, he's the star of the tournament. Without a doubt. I think Kevin Koo had a good showing. I thought Billy Starks, she had a really, she had a good showing as well. Someone that I wasn't like super keen on, but she had a good showing as well. Jaden Newman, I am not a big Jaden Newman fan, but he was, he was decent throughout the night, um, throughout the weekend. But, in general, Anna Priest was the person who was like, okay, we know he's good. We know he's great. Like, make no bones about it. He is one of the most talented professional wrestlers on the face of the planet. 
he is one of those pro wrestlers where I'm like, okay, when someone says the indies are dead, you know, I'm like, okay, you're probably right for the most part. But he's as good as anyone. He's as good as folks that were here six years ago, five, ten years ago. Like he's he's someone that would be at that level. Like if you told me, okay, he's on the level of James Gibson. Like yeah, absolutely. If he's on someone, maybe not peak Roderick Strong, but like he's not. He's in that ballpark. He is so damn good, and I am hopeful that he really does get to continue. Increase his profile. He's going to be at Jaylet. Show I talked about earlier. Like he's breaking out. He's going to be making moves. God bless. Roll tie, baby. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else I really want to talk about. SEI. I'm not a big fan of the winner, but like also, I get it. Um, Simon, friend of the show, friend of the Slack group that we're all in. I guess is probably more apt. Talked about this being kind of the run of okay tournament with some great matches some good matches but the most boring local talent possible winning and i don't agree with the, the overall assessment like when gunner miller won it felt like okay like this dude has upside when joey lynch won he felt like he was breaking out in a certain way and he's wrestling for czw felt like okay he could make a splash somewhere Jaden newman i like i honestly don't know what it is how high his upside is. Like, where's that ceiling? I'm very curious to figure out where that is. But we'll find out. We'll find out. But yeah, that's what I have on the SEI. And number one, it's gotta be it. It's WrestleQuerdom. Uh, I don't have a ton actually to say on this. Other to kind of explain the situation, the best of my knowledge and ability, a wrestling Twitter brand influencer person trans gramps said oh, i'm gonna wrestle run a show in new hampshire with multiple fly-ins and it's gonna be only trans and queer wrestlers on the show i it honestly probably a noble goal something that's okay that's amazing that's great they subsequently, quote unquote, ran the show this weekend. And after all said and done, n- none of the talent, to my knowledge, got paid. Maybe 5% of folks in the process got paid. And many wrestlers were left stranded in New Hampshire after the show because they were not paid. They did not have. Uh, travel arrangements made by Transcrafts to get home. I don't know anything about these cards. I don't know who was on the shows. I know Benny was on the shows. That's only because Transcrafts was doing very weird tweets, very unhealthy tweets about Benny sleeping at their home. Incredibly creepy stuff. But other than that, the only thing I know about these shows, even though wrestlers said even though they didn't get paid, they were so proud of being on the show. I don't know what happened on it. No one's talking about the matches. It was streamed on a weird live streaming platform that I've never seen anyone use in any line of work. And then we have the Kid Bandit stuff that's related to this, which 
them essentially saying, hey, like, let us know your Venmos, who, talent that was on the show. We're going to make this right. We have extra money. We can make this at least everyone whole after all said and done. It, I feel a little uncomfortable how this is all transpiring. One, because Kid Bandit does a lot of things that probably or in a level of ridicule. But it feels weird for a dog pile to happen on this person. I'm like this. From one of their comments being saying Sally, the the runner of the show, or I, the, the supposed runner of the show, saying that they're still part of the community. That they are a great person to have in the community and stuff like that. And then that the dog pile of, oh, you cannot let this person in your community. And you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't. Because this person fucked over a lot of people. And it doesn't seem like they understand the consequences. And it doesn't seem like they all, they seem all, all cared that much. They locked their accounts, which is, they probably didn't want to get bullied and harassed. But you got to own up to something here. But. To have Kid Bandit sort of being piled on and bullied after that. I was like, ah. They're wrong. But the way we're going about this makes me feel a little gross. Like, isn't there a better way to get this message across without outright bullying this individual person that was trying to help the talent that was on the show? I don't know. I don't know. It just makes me feel a little, a little odd. Like, okay, I get this person's easy to poke fun at because they're kind of a dweeb at times. But, like, in this situation, it just doesn't feel like we're pointing towards the right direction. I don't know. But there we go. I, I don't have much more that I wanted to add. I just wanted to kind of talk about the situation since it's blowing up on Twitter and it feels like it's getting out beyond the normal avenues that I'm seeing it pop up in wrestling discords and wrestling uh, slacks, wrestling parts of gaming discords and slacks. Sorry, not wrestling discords. Of course, we'd be in wrestling discords. But like in just like the tangential wrestling sections of these various group channels. So it's... In a, an odd situation. Um, and the, the the growing sentiment was then like, okay, if you're a fan, like, be a fan. Don't try to run a show. Um, yeah, no one should want to be in the wrestling business, period, I guess is also the thing. Even folks that are good with money and understand things, like, you shouldn't want to be in the professional, business of professional wrestling. Have you not seen anything that's gone on in the past few years? It's bad out there. Check yourself. Good Lord. Um. All right. I think that's going to be it. I think we're going to call it. That's it. That's We Don't Know Wrestling 117. I'm your host, Sam. Follow us on Twitter at WDKWPN on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice. And that's it. That's all. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.